Sort of awake, kind of awake. <laughs> Ready to face a new year? Did you have a good Christmas? Are you glad that Christmas is over? <laughs> good, we're going to sing some more Christmas songs today. <laughs> I'm not ready for Christmas to be over, too, either. So, But um, we, uh, no matter what we're facing this new year, we should um, always remember that there's only one place that we can look, and that's to God, because he's always with us, right? No matter what happens to us, no matter what we face, um, good or bad, God is always with us, so we have nothing to fear. And um, the first song we're going to sing comes from, I think, the book of Romans, um, Romans chapter 8. And the, the title of the song is Whom Shall I Fear? So really, that's a great way to begin a new year. Let's all stand together.
don't you go ahead and be seated. Like I had mentioned a few weeks ago, um, my favorite aspect of Christmas is, of course, the Christmas carols. And, um, you know, it's always interesting. The Christmas carols can kind of bring us um, some interesting interpretations of scripture, right? Like, for instance, uh, were there really three kings like, that brought uh, presents to Jesus? And um, who was this uh, little drummer boy that came around to the stable? I don't remember hearing about him or reading about him. Um, but the one that really kind of strikes me is when Christmas happened, right? Because it's supposed to be um, December 25th and in the middle of winter. And, well, if the shepherds were in the fields, and it probably wasn't snowing, right? Uh, but there is this one uh, Christmas carol that I love, but it kind of brings this whole issue of theology and biblical interpretation back into it. And that's this, this poem, this song called In the Bleak Midwinter. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's by a famous uh, poet named Christina Rossetti. And uh, that's the, uh, probably the most famous part of it. And you've probably read this one or heard this one before. Let's read this. Um, so that we can kind of kind of get a, a feel for what this song is about. All right, let's read it together. What then can I give him, empty as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would know my part. What then can I give him? I must give my heart. So this issue of wintertime, and you know, in Southern California, we haven't had much of a snowy white winter, white Christmas this year. Uh, people walking around in their shorts and uh, flip-flops. Uh, I just don't understand that. But um, I wonder if we could sort of take some poetic license with this song and think about life perhaps in that first century um, Jerusalem, uh, Holy Land. Maybe it was kind of like a bleak time for them. They hadn't heard from God in four, uh, 400 years or so. And they were wondering probably, where is God? Where is he? And maybe sometimes we're, we're thinking that, especially at Christmas time. But, uh, you know, as this, as this Christmas carol tells us, that does it matter we're in the middle of a bleak winter time in our life and you know sometimes we look around history in the world today and we feel like that but uh, really we are to look back to the one and only one who is the answer to all of that and that's a little baby in a manger and that's Jesus
alone. We sing hosannas to you, Lord. Praise be to the name of the Lord. Because our God saves, our God saves, and our hope is rising in you. And our hearts are stirring because of you. Hop along with us. You are the God who saves us. We 
hear the sound. In your kingdom. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks. Lift up an offering to him. In Jesus' name. Good morning, Harvest Community Church. Happy New Year. Why don't we uh, greet one another for a few minutes and uh, give each other a Happy New Year greeting. Welcome. Thank you for joining us here this morning. If you're a new visitor, we have these uh, welcome cards. If you could fill that out, we get to know you better. Also, if you have any prayer requests, 
you could write your prayer request here on this uh, welcome card and drop it in the offering. And we will have uh, our prayer team be praying for you all. So uh, first up, we have uh, a need for Promise Land teachers this year. Um, if you have the calling to work with the little ones, it's a great way to uh, put your own Bible knowledge on them. It's not that intimidating to work with the little ones. It's actually really fun. So if I could do it, anyone could do it, right? So please contact Sammy if you uh, have the calling. Um, and then for Wednesday, this Wednesday, January 3rd, we will have our prayer circle at our house on, um, at 8 o'clock. So we'll take all the prayer requests we get for today's service, and uh, we'll be praying for everybody on Wednesday. And then the senior Bible study will pick back up on Thursday, January 4th. Uh, contact information is in the bulletin. Um, contact Ron Lynn if uh, you want to join up with the seniors. And then the park will be having their meeting on January 6th. Um, again, all the contact info is in your bulletin. So uh, this is a great time, right? Today's last day of the year. A lot of time of reflection on what happened this past year. We got to look forward to what's going on for 2018, but we're still kind of going through the Christmas season, which is still really exciting. So we get to think about the gifts and recognize the gift that God gave us. And so I'd like us to, you know, at least for me, I'm always saying thanks. I mean, every day I always give God thanks, and he really has blessed us with so much. So, um, I know we always get caught up in, in the hustle of, you know, everyday life, and sometimes it gets kind of hard to remember what great blessings that he's given us, and so uh, Pastor Gary will, will talk about the gifts that, um, that God gave us and, and the people who were the first to recognize that gift. So, thank you, Pastor Gary. And Happy New Year from, from me as well. Glad to be with you today. I'm a little bit loud. <clears throat> okay. You know, I, I'd like to read the passage that we'll be looking at today. It's a little bit of the aftermath, as was mentioned. Uh, that's what I could have titled it, but I didn't. But I think it's important to read it, and then I'll comment on it. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? And I'll be in Luke, uh, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. <clears throat> now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child, and when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it had come and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came to, into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him, opening their treasures. They presented to him gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. This is God's word, 
Amen and amen. Please be seated. Uh, great, to, again, to see all of you today. Great uh, on this holiday spirit. You know, sometime after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, wise men came from the east to worship him. Uh, we uh, don't know a whole lot about this. The Bible is not clear on a lot of the data. Uh, it gives us very little information about the wise men. We don't know who they were. Uh, we don't know how many there were, and we don't know from where they came. Uh, thankfully, Hallmark has come to the rescue here. We know from the Christmas card that there were three of them and uh, that they were kings. And uh, the Christmas carol, We Three Kings, lets us know that they were from the Orient. Uh, perhaps China. Maybe they would felt right at home right here at Harvest uh, <laughs> Fellowship here. But uh, the coming of the wise men is always figured in the Christmas story itself. And we normally portray them uh, coming to the stable uh, at the time where Jesus was a newborn. And yet in light of the distance that they traveled and in light of Herod's decree uh, of taking the life of all children under the age of two, uh, it might be probable that they came some time later and uh, then presented their gifts. It could have been a year or two later, and Jesus might not have been an infant. He might have, in fact, been a toddler. Uh, they were probably men of wealth, uh, consultants to very important people, and yet they took the time to journey all the way to Bethlehem in order to worship the king. A couple of movements that I want to put before you today, a very simple message, somewhat short, but uh, important uh, for us as we look into the new year. Uh, we're going to look at the journey, and then we're going to look at the gifts. And again, let me read just a couple of verses at the very beginning. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. Uh, four brief observations. First, we learn that the goal of the Magi's journey was to find and to worship the king. Uh, to worship is to assign worth and act accordingly. You know, when we possess something that's valuable, we assign worth, we preserve it, we might even insure it. Uh, when we possess God, we have a possession not of high value, but of infinite value. And we don't invest more, we invest everything. And so the Magi came in order to behold the beauty and splendor of the king of the universe. And just a little bit of a sidebar here, the majesty and splendor of the now incarnate king are reflected in the created order. What God does is he imagines, what God did, he imagines things of absolute astonishing beauty like oceans and mountains and galaxies. And then he simply calls them into existence. And God never sacrifices aesthetics for utilitarianism. He never compromises beauty for truth. In fact, beauty and truth are always linked together. Truth without beauty is not truth. Beauty without truth is not beauty. And without God's truth, our attempts to define beauty is nothing more than a biochemical trick of our nervous system. The Magi came from the East to worship the God of beauty and truth. Second, uh, the Magi refer to this newborn babe as the king of the Jews. Where is he to be born, king of the Jews, they say. Now, Herod was the ruler of this little strip of land that we refer to as Palestine, as Israel. And he was appointed by Caesar. And for 40 years, the Senate in Rome has called Herod the king of the Jews. But no one called him the Messiah. And the king for whom the Jews really longed was their Messiah. 
And Messiah refers to a God-anointed ruler. And so it was very clear to Herod that when these wise men came looking for the king, it was no ordinary king they were looking for. They were looking for the final king. And Herod was troubled by that. In fact, he asked the religious leaders if they knew where the child was to be born. And they, and they were in Jerusalem at the time. And they said, yeah, he's to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, which is five miles south of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and what they were doing, you know, these religious leaders, they knew the scriptures, and it had been prophesied uh, in the little book of Micah that the Redeemer, that the one who was to save, would actually come uh, from, from uh, come into Bethlehem itself. And... Uh, What's really interesting here is that uh, the religious leaders knew the scriptures. They knew where the king was to actually be born, but they couldn't bother traveling a few miles to even begin to investigate the event of his arrival. So they don't compare very well to the magi who traveled all the way from the east. Now, the third thing I want to comment on is the star. You know, the star gets a lot of publicity. And... uh, uh, Oftentimes, the, the Bible baffles our curiosity uh, about how things happened. You know, how did the star get the Magi from the east uh, all the way to Jerusalem? It doesn't say that uh, they saw a star and a star led them to Jerusalem. It says they saw a star and it went to Jerusalem. And then how did the star actually guide them to Bethlehem and settle over where the Christ child happened to be? Uh, we don't really know that. And the star sort of falls into the category of a lot of other questions in the Bible. Like, how did the Red Sea split? How did manna fall from heaven? Uh, how did Jonah survive in the belly of a fish for three days? All of these are head scratchers. Uh, marginal issues, however, compared to the overwhelming truth and vivaciousness of the actual gospel itself, like the holiness of God, the ugliness of sin, justification by faith, and the glory of Christ's returns. So what I would say to you is go ahead and chase biblical trivia like that if you want to do that. I do it all the time. Uh, But it's important not to get lost in the Hinkley underbrush of this kind of data and miss the major movements and the major doctrines of the Bible itself. What is plain is the star was doing something not on its own. It's guiding the Magi to Jesus. And there's only one person that can be behind the intentionality of the star, and that, of course, would be God directing foreigners by global interference and all of the nations, to all of the nations, and in fact, so that all of the nations would worship him. So we're talking about a global king that was born here. You know, at the beginning of Matthew, we have this come and see type pattern. At the end of Matthew, you have the go and tell type pattern. So the shepherds come and see. We're part of the Great Commission, and so we, in fact, go and tell. And the purpose is exactly the same, so that the Son of God would, in fact, be worshipped as our Redeemer. And then fourth observation, there's an inescapable detail in the story about two groups of people that weren't interested in worship. And one was actively opposed and one was passively opposed. Uh, The scribes and the Pharisees were passively opposed. Uh, They knew where the king was to be born. uh, But in light of the cosmic magnitude of what has taken place there, Their indifference, their apathy is absolutely staggering. But then there's another one that was actively opposed, and that, of course, would be Herod. And after consulting the religious leaders and uh, hearing that he was to be born in Bethlehem, Herod said to the Magi, go and find the Christ child, find the king, and when you find him, come back and tell me about him so I, too, can come and worship him. Of course, we understand it was a sly maneuver because murder, not worship, was on the king's heart. And his own self-encrusted self-interest and paranoia 
led to really the wholesale slaughter of the innocents in the a little later in our chapter here. Uh, let's move from the, um, uh, onto the gifts of the Magi, from the journey to the gifts. And after coming to the house, and they were in a house, not a stable, uh, they saw the child with Mary, and they fell to the ground, and they worshipped, and then they presented gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And each of the gifts that they presented was absolutely significant. First, they offered gold, and gold was a symbol of royalty. Gold is the medal of kings. They've done a lot of archaeological digs in Egypt, and they discovered that uh, gold was put in the coffin of pharaohs. And one of the greatest uh, discoveries in the <clears throat> nation of Greece was the mask of Agamemnon, uh, which was made out of pure gold. And some of you will realize that Agamemnon was the god that demanded child sacrifice in Homer's Iliad. Uh, but when the Magi gave the gift of gold, what they were doing is that they were acknowledging the kingliness of this babe that was actually born and his right to rule. You know, it's been pointed out that uh, Mary and Joseph probably used that gold in their flight uh, to escape the wrath of Herod uh, when he moved into Bethlehem and slaughtered everybody under the age of two. It helped get them out of uh, Palestine and onto Egypt so that they could escape that kind of wrath. And that could well be true. But how the gold was actually used is of small, smallness in comparison to what the gold was actually meant. It meant that these wise men, these magi, uh, recognized this babe as the king, and so they presented him gold. The second thing they did was give incense. Now, incense... Whereas gold stands for royalty of Jesus, uh, the incense stands for the purity of Jesus, and it was used in temple worship. It was a part of a meal offering that was given by a thankful worshiper uh, for the goodness and kindness of God in his life. That's what it was used for. It uh, was the incense that gave off a fragrant aroma, which is exactly what the Son of God was in the eyes of the Father. And incense was never, ever mixed uh, with a sin offering. And that makes sense because Jesus, of course, was without sin, not only in his birth, but also in his entire life. You see, it was his purity that allowed him to go to the cross as the unblemished lamb and die for our sins. Now, as I mentioned a week or two ago, uh, getting rid of our sins uh, by itself does not give us a ticket to heaven. Uh, we need uh, something else besides that added to us. And when Jesus went to the cross, God did that double transaction where he took all of our sin and put it on the Lord, and he died the eternal death and paid the price for our sin. But then God also took the righteous life of Jesus, that he lived on earth without sin, put it to our account. And so in a real sense, when Jesus was on the cross, he was treated like we deserve to be treated so that we, so that we ourselves wouldn't have to endure that, so that he could treat us, if you please, like he treated Jesus. So we got Jesus' life and his righteousness, and he got our sin, and uh, that's why we adore him so much, what the Son of God did. Uh, and third, uh, they gave him myrrh. And myrrh was a symbol of death. Uh, it was a spice used in embalming. Some of you may recall the story of Nicodemus in John 3 when he came to Jesus by night. He wanted to have a conversation, kind of a theological conversation, and Jesus kept putting before him, you need to be born again, you need to be born again. And I believe somewhere along the line that he actually did bend a knee to the Lord Jesus Christ as a Pharisee. 
Because uh, after Jesus' death, Nicodemus was involved in preparing the body, embalming the body, and that's what myrrh was used for. It was used for death. Uh, but in this case, you know, it wasn't an offensive death. It was a gift of faith. You know, you think about how odd it is to take a newborn babe and present him the gift of myrrh, which stands for death, but it's not odd, it's not offensive. It just understands who Jesus is and the work that he, in fact, came to do. You know, we're not sure exactly how the wise men understood this. How in the world did these magi know about the death of Christ? It was certainly prophesied in the Old Testament uh, that he would in fact, die. Psalm 22 speaks about death on the cross. Isaiah 53 says he'll be smitten by God, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. So, so there, there was the death part of it in there. Now, there was one other use of myrrh. And myrrh was used to deaden pain for those who were suffering. And you may recall that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, when Mark writes about it, he says that Jesus was offered by the Roman soldiers a, a wine that was mixed with myrrh so they wouldn't feel the pain so much, and Jesus refused it. Later on, John's gospel tells us that, that Jesus was then offered wine without the myrrh, and he accepted it. In other words, while Jesus was on the cross, he wanted to take everything Satan and hell could possibly throw at him without minimizing it one little bit by natural anesthesia. And so the Magi gave gold for royalty, incense for purity, and myrrh for death. And these were gifts of faith that simply recognized who Jesus was and what he came to do. Now, at the second coming of Christ, when he comes again for his people, uh, there's going to be a reenactment, and gifts are once again going to be given to him. Listen to this, what Isaiah 60 says. Arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord is upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. All those from Sheba will come, and they will bring gold and incense, and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. You see, when Jesus comes again, uh, there's going to be kind of a, a reenactment where gifts will in fact be given to him. But when he comes again, it will only be gold and incense. And that's because the myrrh, which symbolizes suffering and death, that was extinguished and gone for absolutely ever. Forever. Charles Wesley put it well. Let me read you what he wrote in a familiar hymn. He says, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious freedom ring. You know, in one respect, you know, uh, we look at what we can do for the Lord Jesus. And uh, we can't really do anything. All we can do is receive. But uh, there is an application here. And that is we can bring our gifts to the Lord. Uh, it's interesting, and you say, well, wait a minute. Isn't the Lord the designated giver in this relationship with us? And the answer is yes, he is. And he's not going to allow being the giver to be usurped at all by any of us. He already owns everything in the universe, including everything that we call our own possessions. He owns everything. Uh, and yet, um, you know, he's, he's ready. He's the one that gave us life in Christ and really eternal life in Christ because of the death of Christ be somewhat analogous to an earthly dad. And we have a lot of dads here today. And uh, dads, along with moms, are, are responsible for giving life to, say, a little girl. And then after the dad, the earthly dad, 
uh, gives life to the girl. He does whatever is absolutely necessary for the health and for the growth uh, of that little girl. Gives her everything to sustain her life and everything to help her enjoy that life. Uh, so in one respect, you know, and then by the way, he gives her a little allowance through which she purchases him a gift. That happens to dads all of the time. So in one respect, we can't give God anything. He already owns everything. He, he owns everything that we have. But he does take delight in our gifts of faith, which are the same as the Magi, gold, incense, and myrrh. And I just want to comment on our gifts. I want to begin with myrrh. Myrrh is a symbol of Christ's death as I mentioned. It's also a symbol of the spiritual death that we deserve. Uh, and the, what, what it's calling us to do, and one of the great things about the Christmas season, is that uh, it, it's calling us to say, hey, if you've never, ever given your, your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you realize what he's done for you, what better time as we embark on a new year to look at the reality of you being a sinner, of Christ paying the price for that sin, giving you his righteousness so you can come into his presence forever without being destroyed. Uh, you know, it, it changes the entire way that you live. When you were, when you were born, uh, you cried. And those that loved you, that watched you come into the world, rejoiced. And what understanding the gifts of God does is it helps us live our life in such a way that when we die, those around us will cry and we will rejoice. That's what God wants. After you've uh, given your myrrh, uh, you give your incense. And what incense does is acknowledge that your life is, is impure as the life of Jesus is sinless. And that your greatest acts of goodness, my greatest acts of goodness, are always going to be tainted with sin and imperfection. But when in Christ, when it's really motivated, even our, our imperfect life, even our imperfect existence, even times when we slip up and screw up, uh, God takes delight, and our lives are a fragrant aroma even then. And that's the beauty of it. He knows that things aren't exactly put together for us right now, but he takes delight in those small, even in the midst of the imperfection of the gift itself, he takes delight in, 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 in us pleasing the Lord. It's a fragrant aroma. So we can give our gold, we can give our incense, uh, our, we give our, our myrrh and our incense, and finally we come to the gold, which is the medal of kings. And what, uh, what uh, happens when we give to our, our king is that we're acknowledging his right to rule in our life and find our ultimate delight in him. You know, God designed the universe in such a way that it always points back to his majesty and to his goodness. It says in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. In Isaiah 43, it says the beast of the field will honor me. The rest of creation always submits to the lordship of Christ and the only group of rebels that are really left in all of the universe are human beings. And as people that are made in the image of God, you know, what we can do is we can lock arms. We can lock arms as friends, as an assembly, as a church here, and join the rest of the created order in giving glory to God, having zeal for his honor and his glory. And what better time to do that, to let the glory of God reign in you. So give God your gold. Uh, gold, incense, and myrrh are gifts of faith. And uh, they can only 
they're the only things that we can offer the one who has freely given us all things. And one final thought. In the Christmas story, uh, you have to consider who it was that welcomed Jesus into the world. And it was the shepherds and the magi. And when you uh, consider the Orthodox Jews who were already in Jerusalem, they would say the wrong people came to the party. Uh, the shepherds were marginalized in Jewish society. They were unschooled nomads. They didn't mix with the mainstream of culture. They certainly wouldn't be a candidate for your daughter's hand in marriage. Uh, the Magi, on the other hand, uh, they came from a distance, but they were Gentiles. Uh, they weren't part of God's chosen people. They weren't orthodox, they were heterodox. And yet it was the shepherds, the illiterate and social outcasts, and, and the Magi, the theological and, ethic, and ethnic outcasts, they have one thing in common, and that is they both wind up right there in the same spot. The simple and the sophisticated come to Bethlehem and they welcome the newborn king. It's really the gospel of grace. It's the Christmas story, the realization that the Lord has come. If somehow we can take this into the new year, uh, and uh, one of the re resolutions that we make is just uh, giving our entire self, our entire life to the God of the universe. Uh, we can continue to grow in the midst of all of the ups and downs and the chaos that we encounter. Uh, will you bow in prayer for me and the worship team can make their way up? Our dear Heavenly Father, we... Um, Thank you for the Christmas season, the Advent season, uh, for the, all the meaning that it has, uh, the realization that our redemption has begun in time and space as you sent Christ to do what he needed to do to uh, procure our salvation. And so we thank you for that and thank you for the Christmas story. And I pray that as a fellowship, uh, we may continue to come together and honor you for who you are, uh, to live for your glory, uh, to understand our place, uh, to always bounce back when we do wrong in the power of your spirit. Uh, what a blessing this season is. We thank you as we move into the new year for what you're going to do. In Christ's name, amen. welcome card in there with your prayer request as we close this year and this Christmas season look forward to 2018 with great expectation what will we bring to God in offering
let's all stand together. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all times and now and forever. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. I've got a friend over here. Make sure you meet him, okay? God bless you.